Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Very pleasant. Good afternoon to all of you. I'm glad you're here to study the book of Romans. I had hoped that I would finish this in 13 weeks. That's the reason I've been running right? like a racehorse, but I won't. And uh, I don't know if Paul's in here or not. He'll probably shoot me, but it's going to take more than a quarter to do this. And uh, we'll just settle down and do it that way. For that reason... I'm going back into chapter 1 and finish off there and then go in and finish chapter 2 tonight of the book of Romans. We have a PowerPoint that you can't see, so uh, just do the best you can. Verse 18, incidentally, Romans presents material that is very different from what most people are accustomed to. It is uh, very difficult, presented in a way that... uh, that is uh, not theologically skillfully. It's written to people like you and me, but it's written in a different way than most books of the Bible. Paul gives instructions as to what salvation is, how it came to be, and our response to it. Verse 18 is in the, of chapter 1, gets into the Difficulty of humanity. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because they may be known of God, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Paul is going to make some statements here that some people struggle with. He's going to tell us that everybody is responsible to God, whether they have read the law or whether they have heard preaching or what. Because everybody should know God. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. That's kind of an oxymoron. Something invisible, clearly seen, is what he says. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they may, they are without excuse. But although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, but were thankful. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, morons. Original book says here, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. The beasts, birds, four-footed animals, creeping things, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We talked about that last week, how men took inanimate things, wood and gold, silver and so forth, and shaped them into the image of a bird or something and worshipped that thing that didn't even have life. I cannot read these passages without thinking of all the intelligent men we have on earth today. 
The smartest man that lived in our age died a few years back. His name was Stephen Hawkins. He was, he was a smart man, but he was a fool. God called him a fool. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Here's a quote from Stephen Hawkins. Hawkins. We are just a, an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But we can't understand the universe. That makes us something very special. Stephen Hawking believed he could understand the universe. He was crazy for that. Then he says, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when all its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Stephen Hawking says, when my computer breaks down, that's it. Nothing left. He also said this, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much I want to do first. I can't talk to Stephen. I would have if I could have, but I can't now. He's dead. But the truth is, Stephen, dying is kind of like taking a plunge off the Eiffel Tower. The first 905 feet, okay. Is that 905th feet, foot that will get you when you hit the concrete below. Death is like that. Death is no problem. But hitting that which follows death is going to be difficult for those who are not prepared. Isaiah 45 verse 33, verse 23 says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. And Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 14 verse 1. Stephen Hawking has already bowed to Jesus Christ because he died 14th of March, 2018. He died on Pi Day. Ladies, don't go in the kitchen. That's spelled P-I. He died on Pi Day. That is a mathematical scientific term. The birthday of Albert Einstein. He was given an elaborate funeral by an official in the Church of England, lauded to be a great man. He was a fool, because a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let's continue in verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Gave them up, gave the Gentiles up to uncleanness. He no longer protects them. That's what Paul is saying. He gave them up. He let them do what they wanted to do. Somebody might say, "Did God? does God really take care of people outside his church? He does. Let me ask you this. Do you pray for people outside the church? Do you pray that God will look after friends of yours that are outside the church? Does he do it? If he doesn't do it, why do you pray about it? God loves everyone. But he gave these people up. He said, that's what you want? Go have it. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For the women, or even their women exchanged the natural use of, uh, that's, which is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another. Men working with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. That is the ultimate 
of sin. He just described it. I went through this last week. I'm going to do it again, though. I want you to know that I don't hate people. I don't hate people who are sinners. I don't hate people who are homosexuals. I don't hate people who are drunkards. But I hate the sin they're doing. I hate any sin I commit. I hate sin. But I would die for those that are trying to get out of it. Get out of sin. Well, it's just impossible. I'm, I'm addicted to homosexuality. I'm addicted to drink. I'm addicted to this, addicted to that. You know what Paul said? First Corinthians chapter six. He describes all of these sins and fornicators, adult, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. But he says, such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It's not impossible to break those holes that Satan has on you. Not impossible for an alcoholic to be sober. Not impossible for a homosexual person to abstain from that kind of life. Not impossible for a kleptomaniac to keep his hands to himself. It can be done through Jesus Christ. I like our space program. I love the uh, I love NASA. I considered working for NASA and had an opportunity to interview at Cape Canaveral and decided to keep preaching for a church in South Georgia with ten members. I don't regret that decision. But I watched the NASA, I watched the NASA channel until June first. I watched it and I said I can't take this. I watched it again June 2nd. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there was a woman on there that had a wife. There was a man on there that had a husband. They were holding hands, part of their commercial. And I said, I will watch NASA beginning July 1st. I won't turn the channel on again. And that has no reflection on those people who work for NASA. Great, great people, most of them. Why are we promoting homosexuality in our businesses, in our sports, in the government? I don't understand it. I received word just yesterday that one of my favorite restaurants has gone woke. I can't, I can't understand it. Now, Bill Eads starts in verse 28 and says, this is a downhill spiral. And it is, Bill. Thank you so much. I'm not even going to read it. But they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. And then he mentions those things that are not fitting. Some of those things don't seem so bad. Some of them are bad. All of them are bad. Some of them are worse than others. And the whole point is when you read 28 through whatever, 32 here, you need to remember that they that support those who do these things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's kind of an introduction. Let's go to chapter 2. 
The first five verses deal with the Jews who are under God's wrath. Now, the first chapter deals primarily with the Gentiles, the general culture. And the Jews are probably saying when they read this, that is good, Paul, you got them. You're getting them. Go, go, go. Because they're terrible sinners. Whatever they do, they do it wrong. To whatever depth they go, it's bad. But Paul begins verse chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. I'm going to stop here and have to say something about what Paul just said. I believe it's true that the Gentiles were more mired into homosexuality than the Jews were. I believe they were more mired into idolatry. I believe they were more mired into those overt kinds of sins. But as he judges the situation, as Paul judges the situation, he says, you Jews are practicing the same things they are. How much do you have to steal to be a thief? Oh, this Gentile person over here, he's ripping everybody off. I just go into Walmart sometime, get a pen, put it in my pocket, nobody knows it. Who's the thief? Paul says, both of you. I don't, uh, I'm not a homosexual person, but I just enjoy that thing, watching somebody else do it. Who's the greater sinner? Paul says, both of you. He's really, really setting them up for a fall here. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth among those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? They did think that. You know why? They were special people. They were God's chosen people. And they had forgotten what God chose them for. And you're going to hear this over and over again. God did not choose Abraham's seed for salvation. He did not choose that nation for salvation. He chose that nation to keep a plan together that would bring Jesus Christ into the world for the salvation of humanity. He never promised that kind of heavenly salvation to any of the Jews. Didn't deny it to the Gentiles. But if you'll follow Abraham and his seed as it goes all the way through Mary, you'll find the result of the Jewish nation. And there it is. And you'll also find the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham. And you'll also find that those promises to Abraham having been fulfilled are no longer effective. It's over. No nation of people have an upper edge as far as salvation is concerned on any other nation. Yes, Brother Glenn. Thank you very much. Glenn said to John 4, when Jesus told the woman at the well, salvation of the Jews, that it was in Jesus that came through that line. You're exactly right, of course. Thank you. 
Do you despise the riches of the goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now verses 6 through 11 teaches us that God does not take a man's face. Say, I never heard that before. Well, that's what it means in the original language. God is not partial. He does not look at a man's face and say, okay, you look good. I think you're all right. I won't examine you in a father. You're an ugly guy. Excuse me, Dodd. I wasn't talking about you. I was just looking that way. Don't take you because you're ugly. God is not that way. God looks at the heart. And uh, that's what it is. He will render to everyone according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but uh, obey uh, unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Now this very wording here does not mean that a person becomes good enough to inherit eternal life. I believe that those who are saved will have some kind of reward for the way they lived. But salvation is of Jesus Christ. Salvation is of him, and God does not let us obligate him to salvation. Paul is in a transition period. He's dealing with Jews who don't understand faith and grace and law. He is dealing with them in a way that they will learn. Church is 28 years old. Paul is showing them that they cannot be saved by law. Psalm chapter 62 verse 12 says, Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his works. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And that is in the Old Testament. Always the just shall live by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. Somebody says, well, he was justified by works too. James and Paul talked about that. They used the same word for works, incidentally. Paul said he's justified by faith. James said justified by works. And poor old Martin Luther, who's trying to wade through all of this, hated the book of James. He called it a right strawy epistle. I understand in later life he finally accepted it. But he thought that Paul, in his teaching said something nobody had ever heard, and he started the restoration movement from Romans chapter 16, one, chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, and Romans chapter 3. And he did not understand what it meant in the book of James when it says Abraham was justified by works. And, of course, he was justified by works in his response to what God told him. He was not justified by merit. We cannot merit anything in God's favor. We cannot. We cannot obligate God. God can never look at James Andrews and say, well, I got a, got a problem here. I never thought anybody could merit anything, but James such a good guy. I just have to pay him something. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen to you. It ain't going to happen to me. It isn't going to happen to any. I know what to say isn't there. It isn't going to happen to anyone. Remember David, two capital offenses adultery and murder both of them by the law says 
you're going to die. And David begged and got mercy. But I want to show you something you probably already know. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword, uh, the uh, prophet is telling him, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up ad- adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your own eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. That's what God told David. David, I'm not going to kill you. I know that's my law, but I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to have mercy on you. Not because you're a good guy but because you're a chosen one of mine. But I'm going to expose you for everything you're not worth. And I'm going to make you miserable. That is very difficult to comprehend. But that's what happened. And David is called the man after God's own heart. He tried to please God, but too many times he pleased himself. Also in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, beginning, I'm going to jump over there and show you something. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You want to be saved by law? You can I know you can't, but you can theoretically. Don't violate the law. Just don't violate it. You will not be saved by law, but you'll be saved under law. Law cannot save. If you go driving today, you'll probably violate some kind of road law, uh, even though most of us do when we get out without even knowing that we do. But if we don't, Law doesn't justify us. If we perfectly drive, law doesn't justify us. Law simply doesn't bother us. Law doesn't condemn us. But we can't be saved by law. Impossible. Chapter 2, verse 12, beginning. Incidentally, we uh, get concerned about what I just said sometime because we have a feeling that if we are saved by faith and grace, then we don't have anything else to do. The world teaches that. The Calvinists teach that. Others teach that. That if we do anything, we violate the principle of grace and faith. That is very wrong. Baptism, for example, violates that principle. If you have to be baptized to be saved, there's something wrong with that command. If you have to uh, confess Christ to be saved, there's something wrong with that because we don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross and we take advantage of that and that's why we just accept that. But the Bible is clear. First Peter 3.21, and listen to it. We listen to part of it, don't listen to all of it. King James, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where's the power of baptism? Not in the water. If it were, we'd get out and hurt all these people and half drown them and they'd be saved. It's not in the water. The power of baptism is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we touch the resurrection of Christ? How do we touch the blood of Christ? We touch it through baptism. How else do we touch it? We don't touch it any other way. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Oh, that means we're earning something. No, we're not earning anything. We're not earning the cross. We're not earning the blood. We're not obligating God. We are submitting to what he said. And that's what the book of Romans teaches. That's what it's all about. Remember some, uh, remember Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes. Now, wait a minute. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But the power is in those who believe. No, no, no. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. For whom? For everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Totally by faith. As it is written, the just live by faith. Easy to understand. Romans 2.12, beginning. Under law, incidentally, the criterion of judgment is obedience. I just said that, just preached a sermon on that. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many have sinned in law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law. My pages are stuck together. We'll be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things that are in the law, these also not having the law are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The Gentiles who didn't have the law did have the law. They did by nature the things contained in the law. Now, that is difficult to understand because naturally they did not offer the animal sacrifices. They did not keep the feast days and so forth. But those things were essential for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. God gave everybody sense enough to know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. We all know that. Nature itself teaches us that. And we have to have somebody to help us get over that in order to accept it any other way. The Jews are condemned by disobedience. Chapter 2, verse 17, beginning. Indeed, you're called a Jew. Rest on the law. Make your boast of God and know his will and approve things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth of the law. You Jews that I'm talking to now are, are instructors. You are, uh, you lead people in the right way. You, uh, you, uh, have a form of the truth and knowledge of the law, but 
There's something wrong here. What's wrong, Paul? You You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself also? You who teach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make the boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? You know what Paul is saying? Are you perfectly keeping the law? Do you perfectly keep the law? And they have to be saying, we're not as bad as the Gentiles. The degree of their disobedience is far worse than ours. It is still disobedience. It is still sin. It is still wrong. And I think I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Adam and Eve were cut off from God by eating any children here. No, by eating a banana. That's as good as an apple, right? I said they ate a banana one time. One of the mothers said, my my son looked at me real quick when you said banana. (laughs) I don't know what kind of fruit it was. But they ate a piece of fruit. Adam took that from his wife and he ate a piece of fruit. What is wrong with eating a piece of fruit? I eat fruit every day, I guarantee you. It's good for you. But God has said, don't eat fruit from this tree. A minor thing that plunged the whole world into darkness. Caused God to curse the ground. Caused God to curse Satan. And caused God to say, you'll have pain in childbirth. And told Adam that all these things would be against him as he goes out to till the soil and so forth. Because they ate a piece of fruit. Well, you might say they disobeyed God. That's the point. And I think this is the point he's making with them. Your sins, you say, are not as great as theirs. The magnitude is not as much, but you're still sinners. For the name of God is blasphemed. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. The Gentiles are looking at you, saying, "Okay, you're accusing us of doing wrong things. You're doing wrong things. You're as bad as we are. You're trying to enlighten us, criticize us, tell us we're not God's people." We don't want to worship a God that accepts you and don't accept us. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Verse 25 through 29, Jewishness is not defined by circumcision. This is something that the uh, Jews did not understand. And the reason is, when God gave circumcision, he said some things that were very, very strong about it i'm sure you know but genesis 17 i want to turn over there and read this carefully you've read it before but i want you to listen to it god takes abraham sets him down and says in verse 9 beginning genesis 17 9 as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations notice the phrase throughout their generations This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. 
You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Be careful with the word everlasting. That word is alam in Hebrew, which simply means to the end of whatever is happening. This is to the end of the Jewish age. The uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Here's a comment on that. The Jews said, if I have been circumcised, I am one of God's for eternity. If I have not, he cuts me off. I have been. So I don't have any problem. You Gentiles have not been. Now Paul is going to deal with that. Verse 25 beginning. For for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised man keeps the law, the righteous requirements of the law, will not his circumcision, uncircumcision, be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are you are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. That was a shocker for the Jews who are reading this. Because it took away their promise from God that they would not be cut off. They had been circumcised. They were his people. They were bound for heaven. And God never intended that the circumcised be in heaven anyway, per se. That's not what he gave it for. Was an earthly covenant to identify his nation, to keep his people pure and separated from the masses, and to bring Jesus Christ into the world. And then he says, if the Gentiles keep the law, their uncircumcision will be counted for circumcision. What a horrible thought. These people over here who are wicked and evil, they, they decide to keep the law, they, they become uncircumcised in God's sight, and they become circumcised in God's sight. Can't be. But that's what Paul is saying. And he's saying this is a matter of heart, not a matter of physical being. Of course, the idea of circumcision was no longer valid after Jesus Christ died on the cross anyway. Uh, that was it. That was the end of it. Uh, that was no value to it since that happened. And uh, Paul has cut the Jewish nation to shreds right here. He will later on identify what their purpose is, but they must be feeling pretty whipped at this point as they read this.
and uh, gives the Gentile people something to uh, look forward to and to uh, be a part of. Uh, well, you have any questions or comments? You might just have a comment. I don't have a mic to bring you, but yes, sir. Gary says that it's referred to, circumcision of the heart's referred to in the Old Testament as well. Thank you, Gary. Interesting thought. There were times, of course, in the wilderness, for example, there was no circumcision at all. God made an exception for reasons that I don't understand. Okay, we're going to look at next week at chapter 3. Going to take our time on it. Might not read the whole thing, but I love chapter 3. Chapter 3, beginning from verse 23, is the golden text of the Bible. Uh, We'll get to that and talk about it for a while next week. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this beautiful book. Thank you for letting it call attention to the fact that we're saved by faith, saved through faith by grace, and help us to understand that we do not merit our salvation, but that we must walk in the light and we must obey your commandments and do your will in order to find that salvation. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for blessing us. Keep us faithful in your service. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.